Hey, welcome to episode number 20 of Inbound Agency Journey. This is Andrew, and today we're sharing a conversation that Gray has with Patrick Bittescombe from New Breed Marketing up in Vermont. Awesome, awesome conversation. Patrick has some great things going on up there. He shares the story of how he came to the agency as a social media consultant and how he is today the CEO. Awesome story of how he has grown into that position and how the company has evolved from more of a traditional agency to an inbound agency. He shares how their team puts the operations in place to deliver more than one COS website launch per week. They did 52 last year. They're on pace to do over 60 this year. It's awesome. So without further ado, here we go. Welcome to Inbound Agency Journey. This is the show where inbound agency leaders share the strategies, shortcomings, and successes they've experienced in their journey toward building their dream agency. Now, here are your hosts, Andrew and Gray. Welcome to Inbound Agency Journey. Uh, this is your host, Gray McKenzie, and I am very happy to have Patrick Bittescombe from New Breed Marketing on the call with us today. Patrick, how you doing, man? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me. It is my pleasure. I'm excited to dig into your story, um, where you personally came from, and also New Breed, and also excited. You guys are, I think, one of four HubSpot Diamond Partners right now in the entire world. Is that right? That is, uh, that's correct. We've uh, been uh, fortunate to climb the ranks pretty fast in the partner ecosystem, and uh, it's been an exciting run. Yeah. Well, congratulations on your success on your success and we're excited to dig into it here. Do you want to start, Patrick, just by giving us um, kind of your story, how you came into Newbreed and then kind of the transition, what's been going on with Newbreed over the last year or so? Yeah, yeah. Happy happy to jump into that. So um, came out of the University of Vermont's business school, needed to figure, go get an internship. Uh, was 2008 and was looking for jobs on Wall Street. Uh, was going to go into the foreign uh, currency market uh, as a broker and uh, got a, a friendly hint from one of uh, my friends who worked there and said, hey, I don't think this is a great time, 2008, right before Bear Stearns crashed, uh, to go jump into the, into the financial field. So he said, stick around, as, you know, stick around Vermont for a year, see what's going on here. I also liked marketing out of the business school. And went and did an informational interview at New Breed and said, I'll work for free for the, for the summer. Uh, if you guys will, at least if there's an open position, I can apply for it. And did that for two months uh, and uh, then started out as a social media strategist uh, at, at New Breed and then worked my way up to an account manager uh, and then over, oversaw the account management team. So I uh, did that over about three and a half years uh, and then still had the finance bug and left uh, New Breed for a year and a half, went off to Morgan Stanley to work in wealth management and realized you can no longer be an entrepreneur in the finance space at a big broker uh, broker dealer. So took the took the year and a half, great learning experience, had an awesome team that we worked for, had about 400 customers, uh, was you know, uh, traveling a lot and just realized that it wasn't the right fit for me and had a great conversation with my boss over there and said, uh, you know, I'm going to head, uh, head back over to Newbreed. They had a, an opening, uh, and 
uh, came back over to New Breed. New Breed had uh, kind of gone through the recession and still stayed alive, but I had shrunk down to uh, about 10 people. And I, I came back and uh, hooked up with uh, HubSpot. Brian Halligan is uh, the CEO, and he is a, also a University of Vermont alum. And I went down to inbound in 2000, let's see, 2011. So one of the early inbound conferences, uh, still where you could walk the halls with Halligan and Volpe and Demesh and just chat with them whenever you wanted and went up and introduced myself. And he said, I'd love to have a partner in Burlington, Vermont, and I think you guys should do it. Uh, and had a couple more meetings with him about it, and uh, the rest is kind of history. Wow. So really, you, uh, your buddy on Wall Street kind of saved you there in 2008. That's, I did not know that about your story. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, and I was totally set. You, you know, uh, University of Vermont puts a lot of folks out into New York uh, right after school. It's very finance-focused, which actually plays very nice into marketing these days, right? So my, my background is much more on the math side uh, of marketing uh, than the brand awareness. And, uh, but that, that said, it was, it was kind of you, you got kind of brainwashed into the only way to make it out of is either go to Boston or New York and work in the fi- finance markets. And so that's what all my friends were doing. thought that was the best thing to do. And uh, I was one of the few that decided to stay back in Vermont, and uh, now uh, it looks like I made the right decision. So, absolutely, that's that's a crazy story, but uh, it's funny the journeys that take us to where we are. So, Patrick, tell us a little bit about New Breed now, um, kind of the specialties and what the team looks like. Yeah, so we're at thirty people, um, and New Breed is, as you mentioned, a HubSpot Diamond partner. Uh, we hooked up with uh, HubSpot again in 2011. We did about six months of inbound on ourselves before we brought it to any customers and really kind of just perfected us and what I always say, dog-fooded on ourselves. And that was immensely valuable because we found out all the little quirks uh, behind the behind the machine, right? And we were able to dial it in before we brought any customers, and that really helped us with uh, any churn issues that we may have had of bringing out a new service. Um, so did that, uh, started picking up our own lead gen, uh, over inbound, really started running our own blog. And it was, uh, then in about early 2012 was really when we started bringing our existing customer base on, onto the platform and into our inbound services packages. Um, ran the pretty standard packages for a while of kind of what HubSpot gives you. I think probably all the listeners are, are aware of kind of the fast, faster, fastest model. Uh, and then we realized that uh, those those work for a while, and then you need to really evolve. So now we have what we call a demand gen uh, process, and it's much more of a uh, looking at where uh, our clients have issues within the funnel. So if you kind of think about the funnel. Uh, and if it looks like a sieve, you got to figure out which holes you need to plug. And your uh, inbound package really should be designed to not only fill the funnel, but actually move people all the way through and, and look for those gaps in it. So we do a gap analysis on our client's funnel and then then determine the package from there. Gotcha. So when a client comes to you, that's the first step in the process is the gap analysis? Uh, if they are, in a, if we have the data, yes. Um, so that that works really well for Folks that were on other marketing automation platforms or on HubSpot or at least at minimum had some level of analytics, but that, that's, we can only go for, so far with that. Um, so really it's if they're leveraging automation systems already, uh, we can do the gap analysis. So if they're uh, a new 
to uh, inbound or new to a marketing automation platform, uh, we have to make some assumptions. We use some uh, some benchmarks across our customer base uh, to do that. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Gotcha. And Patrick, you guys also do um, a good amount of COS work and work that's really really well done. I remember. I think that the first time that I saw the new breed name was actually when the COS came out, and you guys were all over everything. Um, how has the the web side of things and the COS side played into the business development over the last couple of years? Yeah, so I mean, obviously, HubSpot's got a big push around the COS. Uh, it's one of their kind of core, unique features, right? Than any other automation platform. Uh, it's a brilliant tool. You can do the smart content and personalization, uh, and really what we call build a sales ready website that can really be a lead gen machine. Uh, and so we were the second website to launch a uh, new breeds website on the COS again, dog fooded it on ourselves, uh, kind of perfected it. We had been doing, uh, kind of lead gen focused sites for about 10 years now. Uh, but then the COS gave us a whole new level of power with the database, uh, kind of hooked into it. And, uh, we, we let's see last year we launched 52 websites on the COS. So, uh, one a week, which was, uh, it was, a, an interesting sprint. Uh, and we're working with a lot of HubSpot's enterprise customers. So these are uh, a lot of large, you know, 200, 300 page sites that we're building on there as well. Wow. Those, uh, those big sites are a huge challenge just to keep all the content straight, uh, migrating between sites. So to get those cranked out, that just sucks up so much time. So to get those cranked out at the pace that you guys are going uh, speaks a lot to the team that you've got in place and also the processes that you guys um, have going on. What does the what does the team look like that enables you to get that done and kind of what's the internal structure powering all that? Yeah, so we have a customer success team uh, that's led by a, our director of customer success, Taylor Forrest, does an awesome job. He came from... Uh, a large software company uh, in Burlington, Vermont. So he has a background kind of in that high volume uh, space uh, and kind of came in and overhauled uh, our existing process and really streamlined it so that we could be that efficient but still deliver that same level of quality that we had uh, because every one of our sites is a custom website. Um, And then kind of how that splits out every Customer who's doing a site with us gets a growth strategist as well as a web strategist uh, to oversee the, the site and then a web specialist who's more of a project manager to make sure all those details. Uh, most of the websites we write uh, all the content for, so we have our copywriting team, and then we, we kind of pair them up by verticals uh, with, with, the, with the customer, and we write all the content. And then uh, inside that content team is also our SEO analyst, and then we have a five-person uh, development and design team, and they handle all of the building of the core product. Wow, that's uh, man, it does take a lot of pieces to make everything come together. But it sounds like you guys have that smoothed out um, really well. What has so one of the things that you mentioned, Patrick, before we hit the record button here was just how your role has evolved over time, and you've moved out of you know you're not. Uh, one of the core developers on the team at this point in time, you've got a lot of uh, responsibilities. So talk to us about how your role has shifted and what it looks like today managing the team. Yeah. So I, I oversee what we call our revenue team. 
So, which is sales and marketing, right? So, New Breed's whole uh, value prop in the marketplace is that we can unify your marketing and sales teams. Uh, and so, what we found is, well, why do these need to be separate teams? So let's just combine them all into one that are all focused on growth and revenue. Uh, so, we've done that on ourselves internally, and it's been really successful. So, technically, I oversee sales and marketing, but really, what we call it at New Breed is I oversee the revenue team. Um, so, my, uh, what does that mean? I. I've really we hired a couple key folks uh, over the last uh, year ahead a head of content and a, a director of customer success and uh, a director of operations all coming you know within their you know mid thirties backgrounds in tech startups uh, and understanding our client base um, and we're able to. Uh, allow me to kind of step out of the process and really leverage their strengths of, you know, looking at this. At, um, and they came from all came from uh, much larger uh, organizations, so they were able to come in and put systems in place that you know I hadn't exactly been exposed to before. And I really took a hands-off approach and said, you know, part of our culture code is that you know there's nothing sacred and you know there's no process that can't be improved. And just because a the founder did it or the CEO did it doesn't mean that. Uh, you can't go and completely overhaul it if it's going to deliver a better product and a better experience for the customer. And so that's what they did, and they kind of built it from the ground up again. And now we have a really uh, efficient uh, web process that uh, I say I can't speak to in much in detail to, but it's working, and uh, uh, really impressed with what the team was able to pull off. And I think the key takeaway was that was a big leap for Newbreed we hadn't really done that in the past. We had hired a lot of folks right out of school and kind of groomed them up. I was kind of that perfect example, right? Came in as an intern. Uh, in eight years, I became the CEO. Um, but starting to realize that that was good until we hit a certain level. And then we nearly needed to look for talent that could come in and plug in within you know, the first month and really add additional value from their, their past experiences within a similar field set. Wow. That's an awesome structure. I think it takes a lot of maturity to recognize that, uh, you need to delegate some other stuff and give people some autonomy, um, and bring in folks who have different skill sets. So I think that's a huge move. Um, and that you're prompting all kinds of follow-up questions in my mind right now. But, uh, but one of them is with this structure in place, kind of what's the, what's the goal for new breed? Where, where would you like to be in 12 12 months or 18 months? Yeah, so in uh, 12 months from now, uh, we're keeping on pace so far this year to do another, uh, you know, around another 50, 60 websites on the COS. So that's awesome. Uh, but then we've also been really building out our uh, retainer based clients that are on, on that. Uh, and we've launched a couple new programs that uh, I can talk about. We've we launched a, a, what we under a demand gen program. So it's all the way from inbound to lifecycle marketing. So we have a lot of software companies as clients, and we're able to not only kind of generate the leads and do that kind of basic nurturing, but we're also then handling cohort analysis and looking at anyone who's in the free trial and be able to bring them through that free trial and then uh, consult on kind of what is the best uh, call strategy layered on top of the marketing strategy uh, of that, that nurture stream. Wow. I like that package a lot. And especially so in the, um, in the SaaS space, myself, obviously with do inbound on the software side, I, I think that is 
that's something that so many other uh, software founders who maybe don't come from the marketing side need a ton of help with. Um, as far as I guess where you go uh, vertically is software one of the is that like the primary uh, niche or vertical for you guys right now or are you also um, in a bunch of other industries? Yeah, so kind of how it breaks down we have. We have uh, software as a service uh, as our largest customer base, and then IT and telecom are, are pretty neck and neck. Uh, and then uh, we also have a lot of uh, enterprise-level customers as well. So those are kind of our, our core uh, folks. And then we have a, kind of a separate division that focuses on the education space as well. Okay, great. That's uh, You've got some diversity there, but I can see a lot of uh, layers of uh, where things overlap between the different verticals. And I think it's um, that's one of the things that I know we found with Guava Box is uh, just overlay a lot of industries that seem like they're not related at first have some commonalities in the way that people make purchasing decisions and that work well to the way either that we think or some of the industry experiences that we've had. So I think that's, yeah. a, I think that's a helpful strategy for sure. You mentioned, I want to go back to something that you said a couple minutes ago, which was your culture code and that nothing is sacred, um, which is, I think that only gets harder and harder to live by as you grow and as you add layers of complexity into your organization. And so to have that outlined early um, and understood by people and embraced by people is uh, really important and really helpful. But what is that kind of what's the work that's gone into the culture code and uh, what does that look like? How is that kind of communicated to the team at Newbreed? Yeah, so we did it about probably around 18, 20 people that we took on that initiative. Um, And I wish that I did it when it was the, you know, 10 of us. You know, I wish that we did it before we even started the business because when it was, uh, back in 2002, right? It, it just makes so much sense to have it in place because then you hire by the culture code uh, versus how do you get people to it, you know, that you've already hired that are great people, but maybe don't fit all aspects of the culture code. So it's a fine balance. Um, definitely something that I wish that we had done much sooner in our um, kind of life cycle as a business. And it is an amazing recruiting tool as well as you from day one of them being an employee, a new breed and really becoming what we would say a new breeder is they understand that they were not only hired based on their skills, but they were hired that they fit all of those attributes um, and that they not only fit them, but they're excited to live by them every day. And then it's not really something that you need, need to manage because they came in uh, as that particular, if you think about it as that particular persona that fit all of those and it's core to who they are. Um, I think it's a lot harder to manage uh, a culture code if you wait until you're in organizations that 50 or 100 people and you've got folks that maybe aren't the right people or they're not the right people in the right seats uh, or they, you know, and you're trying to kind of reverse engineer the culture code, if you will. Um, So something I really recommend if the, you know, depending on your agency size, get it done sooner than later. There's not, uh, you're not too small to start. And if you're already starting to be bigger, uh, then it, it's still not too late. But just understand that if that's the case, you need to hire and fire by the culture code. Right. So, Patrick, after having gone through it now and experienced the benefits of that and also the pain of building it out and recognizing and wishing that you'd done it earlier, 
Um, for an agency who has not done that yet, and let's say it's a smaller, less than 10 people right now, what, how, how would you kind of, where do they get started to put that together and what does the process look like? Yeah, so I'd really recommend uh, reading uh, the founder, Tony Shea's book, uh, Delivering Happiness. It has a really good process of kind of framework of their culture uh, and how they went about that process. And that's what we did. We followed uh, kind of that model and then augmented it based on uh, some additional things that we wanted to include. But I think it gives folks a good framework and great book. Obviously, Zappos was built, be able to build a really successful company with a great culture and brand. Uh, so, and they've kind of really kind of latched on to this whole thing and movement, uh, and have a lot of additional content. I think they even have like a culture code workshop that you can go through and pay a Zappos employee to walk you through that process. Uh, we chose, we chose to take it on ourselves, uh, and, uh, kind of just followed their, their model. That's great. I, uh, well, first of all, I'll link that resource up in the show notes for everybody, but, um, I went through a period of time where I was like, I just got sick of hearing about Zappos. And every time anyone talked about culture, I was like, all I heard was Zappos and Tony Shea. And, uh, and then after learning a little bit more and doing more reading, it just, I was like, why have I had a problem with this? These guys, this guy spent so much time, so much energy, uh, thinking about and trying to perfect culture, um, that this is, this is exactly where we should be looking for this. So that's awesome that you guys used them as a framework as well. Yeah, no, I would really recommend it. Great. Well, Patrick, um, one of the things that is always fun to dive into and uh, can help everybody just kind of relate to you more in the position that you're at right now is to dive into an area where you guys are either struggling right now or something that you're working on improving at this point in time. So when you look at new breed and on your priorities list of what needs to get fixed or what needs to be improved first or up there at the top of the chart, what's uh, what's one of those things that you guys are working on improving right now? So we just kind of launched this new idea and new initiative internally around inbound recruiting. Uh, and recruiting is one of our biggest challenges, right? We're still, we're in fairly small geo. We're in Burlington, Vermont. Uh, we're, yeah, it's got a decent amount of tech talent, but it's still not a major uh, metropolitan. So uh, we've really been focused on uh, hiring the right folks and obviously the culture code and, and lurking on this kind of more passive recruiting model. Um, and we actually just put out a blog post uh, on it uh, yesterday around the idea of inbound recruiting. And we're just starting to test it out around kind of putting content out there, nurturing people, leveraging automation to kind of get people in the funnel and move them through. Uh, you know, kind of like if you think about it, we want them to make new breed uh, as a choice of where they want to work long before they're ready to move from their existing job. So. Uh, we're just starting to get it, that, that going, but recruiting has been a challenge. I think that's a potential solution, uh, but we're excited to see if this experiment uh, pans out. That's really cool. Um, with recruiting, and one of the things that um, one of the guys on the team here at Do Inbound, Ryan Herman, and I have been talking about, specifically related to sales folks, is just if you're a good salesperson, uh, there are going to be probably very few times in your life where you're actively searching for a job. It's more of kind of a passive job search. So what you said about wanting people to already kind of commit to that mentally in my mind, I'd like to work at new breed while they're still, uh, happily or somewhat unhappily, but happily enough to still work there, um, employed at some other place, I think is really key to recruiting. What, when you think about recruiting though, 
um, what are some of the best places that you, so you've taken the team, you guys have gone from, uh, 10 people not too long ago to 30 people today. Uh, where do those people come from? You know, so we've, we've got, I think part going back to the culture code, the biggest thing that we've leveraged so far is, uh, employee referrals, right? So, uh, you know, if you think about it as, uh, you're kind of the, uh, kind of your, your persona is kind of the makeup of the five people you surround yourself with. So our goal has been to figure out who are those five people you surround you with? Are they in a similar industry? Uh, and most likely they're going to be a culture fit as well and then hire those people. So we've hired one employees group, uh, I think has referred one employee right now, uh, has hired, uh, referred eight people to new breed. Wow. Uh, yeah, so we've leveraged that, but I think we're at that point. Well, it's it's snowballing a little bit, right? Because every new person then has another five that we can kind of tap into, if you will, how we kind of look at it. But definitely spend a lot of time sitting with employees, going through their LinkedIn profiles, thinking about who's in their network and who are similar uh, personas and mindsets to them, and then starting to, you know, kind of ask for permission to kind of passively recruit them, and that's been successful as well. Right. Nice. So you're really getting to the point where the network effect is kind of kicking in, not just on the sales side, but on the recruiting side. I think of recruiting just like a sales funnel. Uh, It's no different. You got to build a pipeline. Not everyone's going to become, you know, a new hire. So you got to build the pipe, you know, the pipe wide at the top of the funnel, and then you got to interview them. And you can kind of think of that as the middle of the funnel, and then you got to bring them through the culture, and that's kind of the bottom of the funnel. And uh, if they if they make it all the way down. You know, you're looking at uh, weeding quite a few folks out uh, throughout that process. So you got to always kind of be passively recruiting. Yeah, it really is the same, almost the same exact thing. I mean, in sales, you're providing value for money and, and you're just doing the same value transaction, just going the other way yep. uh, with an employee. So I think it's a perfect parallel. One of the things I've thought about and haven't, uh, haven't spent a lot of time, I don't know whether there's a bunch of... Um, other folks who are doing the same type of research, but how at some point in time does this, um, does this kind of funnel methodology play into like a vendor selection? Uh, I'm curious to see if that, uh, if we change the way that we select vendors at some point in time, obviously they are kind of, uh, working their funnel, but how does our funnel, uh, does it mirror any of these same things? So something, just a random concept that, that has been running through my brain, but yeah, I mean, I think you can apply that to a lot of different, you know, uh, aspects of the business model, right? And and at the end of the day, there's typically a, a selection process, which is really kind of if you start thinking about lead scoring, right? You can apply that whole model to a lot of different things of how do we score all the way through. And you know, I think there's going to be automation starting to branch out in a lot of other sides of the of the business uh, operations. Totally agree. Yep. So Patrick, you are um, running a team that is doing a ton of great things right now. What does what keeps you going? What keeps you energized? What is uh, you get up in the morning? What does uh, an average morning for you look like? Uh, yeah, so what, I'll start with what keeps me going. We, I've been fortunate to hire uh, a great group of uh, good friends at, at Newbreed, so we're all really passionate about what we do, um, and. It, it's exciting to to go and work with people that you want to wake up and work, and everyone's equally as excited every day. So we have that passion and that drive uh, inherently. 
the second thing I would say is we haven't built our business for an exit. We're really building it because this is what we want to wake up and think about all day long and not just thinking about when are, when are we going to be able to you know, either sell or acquire or get acquired. Um, we're really looking at building this for the long run. Uh, and I think that gives you a whole different mindset. If it's not what you want to do and you're just building it for the money, uh, at some point you're going to get burned out as an entrepreneur because it's too much damn work. Yeah, that's uh, very true. Man, um, the passion thing. And I actually just got done listening to a podcast episode, I think from the Product Hunt podcast, um, talking about the same exact thing where uh, very few great companies are built with um, you know, with a very solid exit strategy from day one, if you're building yep. it to sell, you're probably not building it, um, the best way. So yep. I love that philosophy and mindset. Yeah, totally. I mean, I mean, there's, it's just, if you start if you, as an entrepreneur, you start, if you don't ever do it, cause you're not ever going to be satisfied. But if you broke down your salary by many hours you put in over that time, you've made that amount of money. It doesn't spit out a great number. It's so uh, true. <laughs> so, so true. Do it for the passion and the money will follow. And uh, and if it doesn't, you still wake up happy every day. Right. For sure. Good words. Patrick, where is the best place for folks to connect with you online, follow you? Yeah. So uh, you can connect on uh, LinkedIn with me uh, as well as Twitter. Um, so it's just my uh, my name's kind of long. So it's, uh, it's going to be at, and then it's my first initial P, Bidiscombe, B-I-D-D-I-S-C-O-M-B-E. And uh, that's my Twitter handle and same for LinkedIn. Awesome. Good stuff. I will, uh, I'll hook that stuff up in the show notes as well. So if people can find that easily and, um, Patrick, just really appreciate you making the time to jump on here today, share with us about your personal journey and the journey with new breed and, uh, wish you the best success with that company. Awesome. Happy to be here. All right. Thanks, Patrick. Talk to you soon. Cheers. This episode of Inbound Agency Journey is brought to you by Do Inbound, the world's first project and process management tool built specifically for inbound marketing agencies. If you want to learn how to manage, track, and scale your inbound agency with a pre-built and proven system, visit doinbound.com slash journey. Again, that's doinbound, all one word, dot com forward slash journey. Now, back to the show. Greg, kick us off with your thoughts after that conversation. All righty. Really good time chatting with Patrick. Uh, he's a man, and I'm um, just really uh, excited to see what they've done at New Breed, and especially the, some of the web work that they've done. I know we were at the – Andrew, you and I made the trip together to the um, Partner Innovation and Growth Summit up in Boston – I'm trying to even remember that might have been in April of this year. And, um, I sat in most of the day on the developer side of things. You were on the owner side of things. So you got to hear Patrick speak and gave me the recap, um, about what they're doing with, uh, inbound and using it for recruiting. But I also got to spend a good amount of time, um, with, um, with Patrick and with, uh, with Chris, Christopher, their, uh, one of their developers, and just really appreciate what they're doing on the COS right now and some of the ways that they're pushing it forward. Some of the work that they've done is absolutely awesome. Um, so excited to chat with him. And one of the things that I pulled out of that and I chatted with him a little bit afterwards was uh, talking about the culture code and the way that they went about implementing that for their business and how much, uh, if he could go back and change things, he wishes that they would have done that earlier. 
Andrew, what uh, what were your takeaway when he what were your takeaways when he started talking about culture in that interview? I was kind of laughing and wondering who the poor employee was that he has on staff that wishes he wasn't there anymore. Um, I thought that was kind of funny, uh, but higher and more mature than that um, was just the I think the impact that taking the time to analyze how you do something and then documenting it and what an impact that can have on your thought process. I think it clarifies a lot of things. Um, I think we saw that with Michael Rose a few episodes ago um, from Mojo Media Labs, how he has really thought a lot about his culture and how his culture dictates the type of deliverables that he's going to create for his clients. Um, I, I heard the same vibes coming from Patrick. And after hearing how passionate he was about the positive impact that that had on his team, I think it's really, really important for people to not just think about the talent that you are hiring, but also who that person is as a human um, and understanding how your team's going to come together and function and what type of an environment that creates. So really, really good thoughts to have. Um, and I think it's going to, I think that contributes a lot to profitability more than, um, more than perhaps we can forecast or perhaps that we can consider at the beginning of things. Uh, but I think that helps make them a more profitable, more successful agency at the end of the day. Yeah. A couple of things that Patrick also said about how they actually went about putting that together and some of the, um, some of the ways that they accomplish stuff that is kind of the big picture agency stuff. Cause the culture code, it sounds great. Everybody probably wishes that they had one, but it takes discipline and work and it's a little bit overwhelming to know, um, where to get started with that kind of stuff. But Patrick mentioned that, that he took his leadership team and they go, they go once a quarter to an offsite retreat and they go to a place that has no sales service. Uh, so they're completely off the grid. And before they go, they communicate to the team, um, exactly what's going to come out of that. So, Hey, at the end of these three days that we're away, we are going to have a culture code that we're going to live by and work by here at, new breed. Um, and so there's some external accountability and I thought that, uh, one defining the objective and, and this is absolutely what we're going to come away with. It may not be perfect. It may need to refine in the future, but we will, uh, finish this and then, um, just going and getting away from distractions, taking the team, um, offsite. I think that those were, uh, those are really good tips and stuff that I know you and I, Andrew have talked about, um, ways that we can continue to do that with the Guava Box team and do inbound team and some of our best experiences together I feel like best and worst probably <laughs> depending on who you're asking but the car trips uh, when we've driven up to inbound or we've made uh, we've made road trips together a number of different places and so the time in the car or hanging out um, out in the woods somewhere for camping um, those those times together are really valuable for the business as well as the relationship. Amen. You can unplug and actually evaluate a little bit of what you're doing and where you want to go. That's always valuable. Um, I love that, Gray. His one other point that he made, kind of relating to his culture and his team, was the different people he's brought in to help handle operations and how he's brought them in from uh, tech company backgrounds. What were your thoughts on that strategy and, and how they've implemented those folks? Yeah, one, I think that's, um, you know, to bring on other people who are, and in his case, bringing on folks to run it who have um, been through the different experiences before they've lived out where some of his, uh, where some of their best clients work. Um, they're older, they're a little bit more experienced. I think that, that takes some maturity to bring in other people. But what really sticks out to me is just his willingness to kind of go with a hands off empowerment approach and say, 
um, nothing is sacred here and uh, you guys evaluate it and help build this. We'll build this together from the ground up. Um, but I'm not tied to the preconceived notions or the traditions of how we've done things in the past. So I think that was the biggest takeaway. Um, and w- would just encourage other agency owners to, uh, you know, to embrace the same principles. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, and really like it gives your, it gives your delivery side a whole new asset as well, because you've got, internal expertise that aligns with the verticals that you're going after as an agency. I think that's a strategy that could help a lot of folks out. Yeah. It makes those sales count. I and mean, this isn't, he's not just hiring, he's not hiring salespeople uh, specifically. He didn't, he didn't talk about that, um, bringing out people specifically for sales, but I can relate to this in sales, obviously on the client servicing side. Um, this is, probably just intensified and amplified even more so, but it makes the sales conversation. So I spent um, a couple of years in the building materials uh, supply industry and working with contractors on a day-to-day basis, that kind of thing in sales. And so talking with somebody um, who's in that space, it just makes this conver- conversation so much easier when you already know the vernacular and kind of the ins and outs of that industry. Um, so it makes, I don't know, just as a different, perspective that I don't have going into, you know, when we go into, um, healthcare marketing, that's, uh, you know, that's a different ballgame and that's something I haven't spent time in. So there's just a whole nother level. I need to come up and just be brought up kind of to speed mm-hmm. and then beyond that to actually know the ins and outs of, of what's going on there. Yeah. And that's a, that's a significant time, uh, and a learning curve associated with that. And that's like that much more time that if you are working with them as a client, you're not delivering results is that your team is getting up to speed and kind of, uh, learning the baseline things and you got to learn before you can help and before you can teach. So that does take time there. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, Andrew, I think that, uh, that's probably good for this recap. Did you have any other thoughts you wanted to add in here? Um, last nugget, like look at, look at Patrick and the team and how they do inbound for themselves. Um, and great. We, we see it time and time again. I'm getting sick of saying it, but the folks that do inbound and as he said, eat their own dog food, see success. So define where you want to go, what vertical you want to go after, and then create content targeted towards them. Quality content, make time for that. And you're going to see success. I think it's inevitable. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't even mention it. I was going to skip over that just because we've said that so many times. But you see it, once again, the people who are at the top uh, of the industry, the folks who are having success, they've practiced this stuff, tested it out on themselves, and they're constantly testing new things um, internally before bringing it out to clients. So you see that. um, You see the innovation being used internally and then you take it to the marketplace once you've tested it. I know that's what um, that's what we try to do. We try to be the you know the, the lab and try out the different strategies and tactics before bringing it out to clients. Uh, and I think I think that we see that definitely as a consistent theme here. So, alrighty. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Inbound Agency Journey. As always, all the show notes can be found at doinbound.com/slash/inboundagencyjourney. You can grab the links to the resources that Patrick mentioned and uh, find his contact info as well from there. If you enjoyed this show, uh, we would definitely appreciate a review in iTunes. If you're not feeling up to heading over to iTunes, shoot us out a tweet or an email, and uh, we'd love to hear from you, hear what you're going through, and continue to move forward together on this journey. 
Thank you for listening to Inbound Agency Journey. You can find the show's notes for today's episode at doinbound.com slash podcast. Again, that's doinbound, all one word, dot com forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, head over to iTunes to subscribe or leave us a review of the show. Until next time, remember, life is a journey. Keep moving forward.